0: Welcome to it. It's Husker Sports Weekly, your one-stop shop for all things Husker Sports. Episode number 109 coming at you in the first Saturday of 2023. And if you're a Husker fan, big sigh of relief as Fred Hoiberg and the boys, they get an overtime win today at the barn against Minnesota. We'll break that game down for you, give you our reactions. We talked about this before we started recording essentially a, a rapid reactions episode paired with a normal episode so we'll break down Nebraska Minnesota for you we'll talk some Husker football and offseason stuff as well and women's basketball of course throughout the course of the episode but before we get into any of that Connor Clark and Grant Hanson are here with you you can find us on Twitter at C underscore Clark underscore 27 and at Hansen not Hanson
1: E-N not O-N
0: and you can find our show on Twitter at Husker Weekly or search Husker Sports Weekly in the search bar of your favorite podcast networks or wherever you get your podcast to find our show. So let's start it off with a game that just concluded about 45 minutes or so. Nebraska goes on the road and beats a Minnesota team, by all means, not very good this year record-wise, 81-79 in overtime. And when you look at the grand scheme of things for Fred Hoiberg and his team This was a must-have game, especially after the performance you put together at Michigan State. We actually haven't even talked to you since before the Iowa game. The Iowa game, obviously great for Nebraska, dominant 16-point win, the lead was up to 24 points in the second half. Michigan State rolls around, you go on the road and you kind of lay an egg offensively especially, and then you come into Minnesota and you have success offensively obviously, but... Defense, you know, struggled a little bit. You have to give Minnesota credit. Garcia had a really, really nice game. He had, um, I believe, 17 points. He finished with 19 points. Um, but Nebraska gets a gritty road win, and 9-7, and 2-3 and three in the conference looks a lot better than 8-8, eight and 1-4 eight, and four in the conference. This is a huge win. We'll get into the stats here in just a moment, but Grant, your initial reaction to this gritty road win in the Big Ten.
1: Yeah, well... <clears throat> I think, you know, we've talked about it at times here, but winning on the road in the Big Ten is extremely hard. It doesn't really matter who you're playing, and I, and I think that can't be understated. But at the same time, there's certain things in the last two games, both of them road games, that are sort of providing some red flags for me uh specifically allowing 79 and 74 points in your last two games. So for me the question becomes you know how well can this defense perform away from Pinnacle Bank Arena? And maybe just in general, how well can this defense perform? Is this last these last two games the start of a somewhat disturbing trend or an anomaly? That that is my biggest question you know heading into a big week next week games against Illinois and Purdue and then another big week afterward Ohio State and Penn State but uh, even think back to two weeks ago and some of the discussions that we had on this program Minnesota was like the one game on the schedule in the month of January that I thought was a guarantee for Nebraska to win that game guarantee might have been a strong word to use at the time but Minnesota didn't look very good at the time. They're certainly, I think, playing better now. And again, I I think I didn't really take into account at the time how difficult it is to win on the road. But it is really important to underscore how key this win is because the rest of your schedule in this month is really difficult. Illinois, at home, tough. Number one, Purdue, on the road. You host number 24, Ohio State. They're playing really well right now. Almost knocked off number one Purdue earlier this week. In many ways, you could say they should have won that game. Penn State, they're difficult. You get Penn State on the road. Northwestern at home. Wildcats are playing really well right now. Then you have to go to Maryland and again to Illinois. So, considering how hard these next seven or so games are, that really makes today's win that much more uh, important for the rest of Nebraska's season.
0: There are certainly no nights off in the Big Ten. You mentioned how hard it is to win on the road in the Big Ten. A Great A example right now is we're recording this at about 2 o'clock on Saturday. Wisconsin down 13 at Illinois. And keep in mind, this is a day after Illinois lost their starting point guard in Sky Clark. So there's a pretty prime example of how tough it is to win on the road in these environments in the Big Ten. But let's get you some numbers from today's game against Minnesota We'll start with the Gophers' um, box score, uh, Ola Joseph with 12 points, Garcia with 19 points, Battle with 20. Those were the three leading scores for the Minnesota Golden Gophers. They shot 47.5% from the field. For the Huskers, Juwan Gary had a nice game, 7 of 11 from the field, 18 points. Derek Walker did his thing, 22 points. He also had 8 rebounds and 7 assists to go along with that. And Sam Greasel had 15 points, went 4-for-4 from the stripe, didn't shoot the ball particularly well, was 5-of-14 from the field, but he made shots when he needed to, especially down the stretch. The Huskers shot 50.8% from the field, which is a huge plus in, in my opinion, especially after the offensive performance that they put together against Michigan State wasn't very inspiring. You could tell that they got off to a hot start offensively, especially with Gary, and then Tominaga comes off the bench with a quick five points. And then even uh, excuse me, Wilhelm, he got involved pretty right. early off the bench, and he, he made his only two shots, but he had seven points on the night, um, one of which was a three-pointer. He had two points from the free-throw line as well. So it was nice to see him get involved pretty early offensively um, as well. I'll go over to the team stats here. Uh, turnovers plague the Huskers a little bit down the stretch, but overall only 10 for the game, so not terrible. Um, When it comes to rebounds, the Huskers out-rebounded the Gophers by 6, 33-27. Fouls, the Huskers had 13, to Minnesota's 18, so relatively clean game from the Huskers. Um, And the Huskers had their largest lead of 5, and the Minnesota largest lead was 7. Now Nebraska, instead of being in the basement of the Big Ten, they're kind of in the middle. They're right behind Penn State. We'll go through the standings here. Wisconsin at one, Michigan at two, Purdue at three, Rutgers at four, Northwestern at five, Ohio State at six, Michigan State at seven, Penn State at eight, Nebraska nine, Indiana ten, Maryland twelve, or excuse me, eleven, Iowa twelve, Illinois thirteen, and Minnesota fourteen. So that's a big win. Again, early in the conference schedule, but one of these wins, you know, goes a long way. Again, two and three, big difference between one and four.
1: Yeah, for sure. <clears throat> and again, because of what's coming, that's that much more important. Um, look, and, and I think, I want to even go back, I, I think there's some teams in the Big Ten that are a bit overrated, or overrated in some ways. I, like, I think, especially AP voting for college football is very reactionary, um, which, look, I mean, inherently a poll ranking teams is reactionary, but... I think college basketball is even more reactionary. Like, for example, Wisconsin at 14 feels really wrong to me, especially considering the way they played against Minnesota. You have a team like UConn climb up to number four, but you know they lose two games this week. Purdue was on the ropes uh, against Ohio State. They lose to Rutgers. So in some ways, I think a lot of teams have wild and weird swings up or down the rankings on a week-to-week basis. And I, I think it's really hard to get a good grasp for who's better than whom throughout college basketball, at least maybe until the tourney and you get to see some seeding lines. But I, I think you get an Illinois team that you should have a good shot at, especially at home, then you go to Purdue. I mean, that'll obviously be very, very difficult. You get Ohio State in town, at home, that'll be a very winnable game. So, I don't know. in Then again, like for me, like I have questions about how well Nebraska plays defensively. Like for example, like back to the rankings discussion, right? Like Michigan State's unranked right now. They're ten and four on the year, though. And like, granted, they're tied with Michigan as we speak, fourteen to fourteen on Saturday afternoon. But they've won five in a row now, and you know, total, they have won seven of their last nine. That loss to Northwestern sucks, but this is a team that lost tight to Alabama that beat Villanova and Kentucky, and those teams have fallen off too, but they're right there with Gonzaga. Gonzaga's a good program. So, like, I I wrestle with, you know, as it comes to Nebraska's defensive performance against the Spartans, is Nebraska's defense slipping a little, or is Michigan State just that good of a team? 31 made baskets, 24 assists. That's a pretty good night. 8 of 25 from three-point range you shoot that many shots you're probably going to be somewhere in that you know that range of you know 6 to 12 makes okay maybe that's not an anomaly nebraska shot 2 for 16 from 3 in the same game okay i get that but again it's just it's tough for me to decide okay is nebraska's defense hitting a low spot right now or is michigan state did they just shoot that well earlier this week and and then the same is true for Minnesota who shot decently well today as well Nebraska gets the victory there but again like 75 and 79 points that's that's not uh a a good trend in my mind
0: well I think Michigan State is finally starting to you know find their stride especially when you you have Tom Izzo as your head coach you know in the back of your mind eventually They're going to get there, right? And you have to have that faith in a Hall of Fame coach like Tom Izzo. And I talked to a bunch of people who either went to Michigan State or follow Michigan State very closely, and they said that was probably their best offensive performance of the year. And, you know, Walker had a really nice game for them, and they did shoot the ball extremely well. Um, Minnesota shot the ball well today. But, you know, it it was clearly preventable. Give them credit. They ran some good stuff, especially in that first half. They got a lot of open looks from three. But now you go to today, in Michigan State, there's 314 left to go in the first half right now. And Michigan State is 19 points. So it's – I think it was a a mixture of them starting to find their stride. And they're just, you know, streaky a little bit. And I feel like a lot of teams like that are because you mentioned it earlier too – It's hard to properly rate, and a lot of ratings of teams are very reactionary, and I agree with that because, you know, right now I thought Wisconsin was playing pretty well, and they're kind of getting it handed to them by Illinois right now. So stuff like that. Indiana just lost to Iowa on the road. Now Indiana is a little banged up. I'll give them that, but that's another team. Purdue, you mentioned on the ropes at Ohio State. Ohio State's a really good team, but Purdue – they just lost, and now they're on the ropes. as the number one team of the country. Odds are they don't stay there next week. So college basketball has been so inconsistent, I feel like, this year. And a part of that is injuries, and a part of that is just poor performance. And it's hard to, you know, gauge which way is a team going to go. And I think Illinois, honestly, for me, is a team like that. They're 9-5. They're 0-3 in the Big Ten. And that's a team preseason I thought might win the conference. So, it's just been that kind of year so far, in my opinion. And that game against Illinois for Nebraska coming up at PBA is going to be huge because not only do you finish up this little two-game road trip with a win, you bring that momentum back to PBA, which is big. And, oh, by the way, the Huskers are 6-1 and at home this year. So, PBA's definitely been a good home court environment for them. Uh, granted, you know, they haven't played the best teams at PBA, but, again, you look at that Purdue game – Take Purdue to overtime. You look at the Iowa game. That was a pretty dominant performance from wire to wire. So I think having momentum going back home against an Illinois team that, you know, can be dangerous is a big, big thing. And if you win that game, and I don't want to get too ahead of myself, but if you win that game, you have 10 wins overall, and you have three in the conference already. And that's, you know, uncharted territory for Fred Hoiberg so far.
1: 100%, because they only won 10 games all of last year. Yeah. Like, that really, I mean... That's a whole nother level of story, I think, as you go into next week. I mean, if they can pick off Illinois and it's a weird it's a weird start time too, right? Like weeknight, eight o'clock. Eight o'clock. That like I, I don't think the the PBA crowd has never disappointed so far this year, but you know, they'll be up against it. Um and so that that'll be interesting to see. What type of crowd is there on Tuesday? How many students are there? That's another question, right? Because, again, you know, the students don't get back on campus uh, until the 20th. I believe the start of classes is the 23rd of this month. So that advantage might be absent. Uh, If you think back to the Purdue game, that was right before the start of break. So there's a lot of folks still around. So there's another question mark, right? So uh, that'll be interesting for me. and then I just, again, like I'm really interested to see if they straighten things out defensively because, you know, you do have to rely to some extent on your opponent missing shots. I, I Nebraska does an excellent job of scrambling. Nebraska does an excellent job of contesting shots. I mean, even, even the shot, I think it was, a, was it was a battle who hit the game tying three in regulation. Um, I believe so. It might have been. I'd have to double check that. I, I now that I think he hit one that, in
0: overtime. He well. hit
1: one in overtime. That's the one I'm thinking of. But there was one in regulation that, the one that tied it to send it to overtime. grizzle has got a hand in his face. I mean, the you know the guy it's contested as you can get. So, like I think again, Nebraska does a good job scrambling most of the time. Nebraska does a good job contesting most of the time. But the problem is just because of the way that they play their defense there's going to be times where the opponent is going to get a wide open look at three. And, you know, I I think maybe that's just true of basketball as a whole, but I think Nebraska tends to give some of those up more than others. But, you know, for the most part, they've had success in that their opponents have missed most of those open threes. Like the Purdue game is a great example of that. Creighton obviously is a great example of that. And that's not entirely just luck. Again, like Nebraska's done stuff to inhibit those shots, but I almost wonder, and Illinois will be a good step towards answering that question is if Nebraska's in some ways gotten lucky by what you know their opponents shot from three in the early going this year.
0: Yeah, and that's a part of the streakiness, too. You bring up Creighton and Purdue. They did not shoot the three ball very well. In those games, despite having open looks, you remember the Purdue game. They Fletcher Lawyer had a wide open look at the end yeah. of regulation to win the ball game, and just couldn't hit it. And I think the the past couple of games, I think Michigan State they had more open looks than say Minnesota did today. They were able to hit them, so give them credit for that. Um, but Minnesota, you mentioned Greasel was was right there at the end of regulation. They still hit the shot. Um, we saw, you know, Garcia had a couple of shots that just died on the rim but ended up right. falling in anyway. I mean, sometimes that's just kind of how the ball bounces in basketball. And it can be demeaning for a defense. Now, I think that, you know, some switches weren't very weren't communicated very well today. I mean, you had – Tomanaga being switched on Garcia a couple of times in that yeah. first half and yeah. obviously Garcia won that battle uh, every single time just cuz of the height difference and everything. Uh, by the Can't way, really blame Casey for that.
1: Tomanaga listed at 6 foot 2 seems like I I don't know if that would hold up in court. You might be you might be sent sent away from It's, the
0: shoes. You know? it's oh, the shoes. It's the shoes. Give him a break. Oh no. Adidas does a nice job of <laughs> making him look taller apparently. <laughs> but it's. It felt like the rotations today at times, not all the time, but at certain times during the game were a little slow, especially in that first half because there were open looks from three. And, again, give credit to Minnesota. They were making Nebraska pay. When they got an open look, they made it. And sometimes teams aren't going to do that. We've seen that already this year. And sometimes you give a team an open look no matter what the record is or no matter you know who they are, especially in the Big Ten – They're going to make those shots, so that's definitely something to clean up. Luckily, Hoiberg and crew has a couple of days to kind of regroup, get back home, which is um, extremely important. Looking at their schedule, and I know you listed it off earlier, Grant, but you go home Illinois, away Purdue, home Ohio State, away Penn State, home Northwestern, away Maryland. It'll be interesting to see what kind of consistency this team can find with all that change, all that traveling back and forth, back and forth, back and forth. Um, and playing some high-intensity games against some pretty damn good Big Ten teams because, you know, Illinois, no slouch. Ohio State, no slouch. Northwestern might mess around and make a tournament this year, and I'm being yeah, serious about that.
1: that's possible.
0: I mean, they look – now, granted, they didn't play very well offensively against Ohio State. They had open looks. They just didn't make them. But you got a guy in Chase Audige who's been really, really good this year. Robbie Baron has taken. Taken a, a huge stride forward. Boo Booey can be streaky a little bit, but, you know, he, he can play pretty well in Big Ten play. I think that that is a team to look out for. It's a really interesting matchup, actually, that I have circled on my calendar for uh, January 24th. But that's another team that just kind of adds the depth of the Big Ten conference this year. But um, a long road ahead, and the 20-game the conference schedule is definitely a gauntlet. Let's see... How Nebraska can navigate their way through that because it'll answer a lot of questions that we still have.
1: Yeah, and look, give Nebraska credit, right, for winning today in the way that they did. You know, when they did not have their best day defensively, uh, on a day where you know Minnesota got some breaks from three-point land, where there was a you know suspect charge call awarded to Derek Walker towards the end which is the right, you know, that preceded the three-point make, excuse me, for Minnesota. You know, there's, there's a number of things that made today a day in which Nebraska faced a lot of adversity, and they came out on top with a win, right? And that's, again, apart from perhaps the end of last season where Nebraska beats Ohio State and Wisconsin on the road, something you can't really say of the Fred Hoiberg era. Apart from this year. So I think Nebraska no, does. something you I, can't say. Yeah, I think Nebraska deserves credit uh, because of that for today's win.
0: And I like what Derek Walker had to say <laughs> in that video in the locker room after the win. I mean, he, he's he been a huge leader for this team. Um, and it's been really nice to see him just kind of get everybody together, him and Griesel as well. I One thing I noticed too, because I missed some of the second half, but when Griesel shot. That three at the end of regulation, he had Wilcher wide open in the corner, right? And I feel like in last year's team that would have been, you know, kind of a killer. Like this team would have argued about it and then would have kind of rolled over and died. But Greasel went over to him. He's like, "Hey, like that's that's my bad. I should have given you the ball. I mean, you, you're open. You're a three-point shooter. So I, I really like that as well. And the fact that they were able to turn that around and win it overtime says a lot. So final score." From Minneapolis today, Nebraska 81, Minnesota 79. Nebraska improves to 9-7 overall this year, 2-3 in the Big Ten, and a huge game looming against the Illinois Fighting Illini on Tuesday night at PBA at 8 o'clock. You can catch that on the Big Ten Network. But we highly encourage you to be in the building. There's going to be a big crowd there, so go be a part of that and support this team because they've been very, very good at home this year once again just six and one um, at PBA in 2023 so let's talk about fullbacks real quick because you know that's the headline in Nebraska land coach Satterfield said something about fullbacks in a press conference and everybody freaks out so what does that mean there's going to be fullback there's going to be huddles I really thought his answer about the huddles was pretty funny actually about how some of the best stories on a football field come from the huddle I thought that was pretty funny but uh what did you make of his comments yesterday Grant Coach Satterfield new OC what does he bring to the table in your eyes
1: yeah I think it was really interesting um you know I think there's been a lot of talk uh, especially in the last I don't know six months or so about how look I mean the the thought is Nebraska's blueprint for the future in the Big Ten is Ohio State, and Nebraska wants to be Ohio State. If Nebraska wants to get back to winning football games and nine-win seasons and, you know, grow from there, you've got to try to be like Ohio State. And I think as the year has gone on, that has shifted, along with Michigan's prominence in the Big Ten, to Michigan. Um, and, look, the pro-style offense, the things that Coach Satterfield were talking about, was talking about uh, on Friday – that really lines up with the whole Michigan sort of thought, right? Go under center, run the football, huddle, you know, um, you know, be able to use a fullback, uh, all those stuff. And I think there's plenty of people in Husker Nation who are extremely encouraged by that. Um, what it looks like, no one can say. Uh, so I think that that's my thought there. Overall, I, I thought both Satterfield and Tony White were really excellent. Um you know, when, when Trev fired Scott Frost back in September, one of the answers he gave at his press conference was that he didn't want to necessarily win the press conference, quote unquote, with his hire. And I think his thought there is that he didn't want that to be the primary motivation for making the hire. You want a hire based off of the culture you want, et cetera, et cetera. I think he, th- he, I think he believes he's done that. He's also won the press conference. <laughs> like it's we impossible. We love winning press conferences. It is impossible to say that Nebraska's assistant coaches, that Matt Rule, that they as a whole are not winning the press conferences right now. That they're not winning the social media game. That they're not winning the recruiting game, um, the excitement game. They're winning all those things right now, which is the only thing they can win. Right now. Because there are no football games. But I think that's my biggest takeaway is that – and it's different too. It is different than the previous administration, so to speak. You know? And you and I can definitely tell that. Like, we could sense that when Frost brought in new assistant coaches the last go-around. When Frost was fired and and Mickey Joseph was was at the podium. There's just a difference in how those two different groups – handled press conferences, handled quotes, right? Like, I think this coaching staff, and I I would say it's probably true of the previous coaching staff too, uh, when Bill Bush, Mark Whipple are speaking, they see media opportunities uh, not as necessarily a chore. They don't see it as a chore. They see it as an opportunity to get their message out there. Um, which I I just I don't think Scott Frost's staff, especially in the last few years of of his time in Lincoln, really did. And I know I I can say, you know, I would say Scott uh, Frost did not uh, see media availability as an opportunity to preach. I mean, as it were, which is what these guys are doing. So I think that's another takeaway for me that uh, that I've noticed is just there's a shift. There's a shift in how these these uh, availabilities are handled.
0: You're gonna win the offseason, right? Off season national champions every single year for how many years now? Twenty? Uh, forever. But, yes. Yeah, well, I guess forever. Yeah, if you if you really wanna if you really wanna dive into the statistics there, but it is nice, you know, to see. And you mentioned the the shift of the press conferences from. The Frost Group to to now, and you know we've seen that gradual shift with Mickey. And yeah, you want to win football games at the end of the day. The press conference can only take you so far, but it's nice to, as you have new coaches coming in and you have new faces because you know how much of like a community that you know the the Lincoln area is, the Omaha area is, the the whole state, and when they come together to watch this football team. It means a lot to the people in the state. So when you bring new guys in, you want the fans and everybody to kind of obviously like you, but feel like they get to know you on a personal level to a certain extent, right? And I feel like Matt Rule did a really nice job of that in his introductory press conference. I think Satterfield did a pretty good job of that as well because, you know, they're both charismatic. They both set goals that they want to achieve, obviously, because that's what they're here to do. They're here to win, and they're here to have this program succeed but they're also here, you know, tell you why they're here, what, you know, inspired them to take the job, what were the positives about Lincoln because that gets the people of Lincoln in the state of Nebraska fired up and you need you need to have one of the best confer or best conferences, best fan bases in college football to be on your side from the get-go and they've done just that and i i like everything that i've seen so far Again, you need to win football games at the end of the day. There's no football games to be played right now. We have to wait until August, unfortunately. But so far, so good. I don't have too many thoughts on that, but I think what I've seen so far, at least from a distance back here in Illinois, has been nothing short of nothing short of good.
1: Yeah, personable is a good way to describe it. And again, you know, they got to enjoy this time when they can't lose uh when Surprise. they gotta- they gotta capitalize on this time when they can't lose when they're not really facing any outside criticism you know when they're not playing football games to lose <coughs> um, all that that stuff is is really important as they get closer and closer to assembling a staff by the way, a couple of transfers in town over the weekend uh additionally, two of them are on the offensive line if I remember correctly so. Nebraska is hosting former Baylor offensive lineman Mike uh, Mas also uh, along with Stanford O tackle Walter Rouse, and then uh, a receiver from Virginia Tech, a transfer or Virginia uh, transfer Billy Kemp the fourth. So those guys are all in town this weekend. It is interesting to me that you know again the last time we did this podcast we talked about how Matt Rule said that the offensive line is not a problem or was not the problem, and they think that they can work with these guys, but they're bringing in offensive line transfers like crazy. Now, let me couch that statement with this, right, that Matt Rule said that they would never turn away an excellent offensive lineman or defensive lineman in the portal. So, look, I I think that could also be used as an explainer, but it's hard not to notice that Nebraska continues to bring in guys from the transfer portal, at least to visit – um who are valued targets. Rouse was a big time starter at left tackle at Stanford. Um you know the Baylor offensive lineman, same thing. Um those guys <clears throat> have multiple seasons, excuse me, of eligibility remaining. I mean it's so like I think it's clear that they're still willing to make a pretty serious push through the portal to try to upgrade on the offensive line.
0: The more big uglies, the better, I think. And yeah, you know I me, I'm a fair. big offensive line guy. They need to construct, and I know that they want to, you know, develop the guys that are there, which is fine. Like, I'm all for that. I mean, make the guys that you already have better because they're there for a reason. But if you can bring in talented guys along with that, do it. And if that means you're going to lose a couple of guys that have been around, then that. That's how it's going to be. That's just how college football is with the transfer portal and everything now and the madness that it is. So I, I'm i on board with it. I think the more linemen, the more options that you have, the better. Um, and that gives the guys there a chance to get better as well when you bring in new faces because they've been so used to going against the same guys over and over and over again. Um, and that can kind of have the the guys reevaluate themselves. Okay, where am I at? Where do I need to improve? This guy is challenging me in, you know, this area of blocking, whatever. Um, so I think that could be uh, a good thing all around for this offensive line unit. Because as Matt Rule said, wasn't the problem, but definitely was a problem. Um, and one that needs to be fixed heading into the next season. So um, that'll be our football talk for today. we'll have more football coverage, obviously, for you as the offseason progresses. Offseason National Championship campaign is looking Quite good right now. Uh, I think Nebraska is number one in that AP poll if you're keeping track. So let's round out the episode with some Nebraska women's hoops. They are currently at Rutgers right now. And let me pull up their score because (coughs) when we record this in the middle of the day on a Saturday, there's a lot of live events going on, and it's hard to keep track (laughs) of everything that's going on. Grant, you said it's not good.
1: Oh, no, it is not. I can not promise good. you it is not good.
0: What was the score when you stopped watching cuz I know you were watching <laughs> it before.
1: <laughs> Excuse me. Um Well, let me say this. Uh Nebraska goes 0 of 21 to start the game. So so let me let me let me start with that. 0 of 21 to begin the game from 3. Wow. They just hit their first 3. It is fifty-four to thirty-eight Rutgers with four thirty-seven left in the fourth. The Rutgers six and ten, winless in conference play.
0: Well, that tells me that this is a classic case of overlooking said opponent. Would you say that is accurate?
1: Uh, yes. Yeah.
0: Because I, it's oh, not this team has been weird though because. You know they go through the rough patch early in the season with Drake and Creighton, and then it seems like they got back together. They won five straight. And now all of a sudden they've lost two heading into this Rutgers game. It's two good opponents, but now the Rutgers game will likely be a third straight loss with just four minutes left in that game. And you come home for two, and your record's going to be ten and six now, and two and three in the conference. The Allison Widener injury may be rearing its ugly head pretty hard right now. I think that is, has something to do with it. But there's you know this group is definitely talented enough to get a game like this especially done. But an over-21 oh, start, yeah. as you mentioned, is <laughs> no, not I mean, going – that is not a recipe for success. It sounds like our intramural team.
1: Uh Yeah, no, it, de- it definitely does sound like our intramural team. And I would say that – yeah, I mean, I, I would say that today's start – and today's game offensively is about as bad as it's ever been for them. I, I mean, I don't I don't think that's unfair to say that at all. <clears throat> so, uh, just, yeah, just a really rough day offensively for this team. And, again, like a lot of people were like, oh, they might be ranked. They might be ranked if they can knock off Indiana and Michigan. And, of course, they lose both those games, and they're competitive in both those games. There's nothing wrong with that. But I was just like – I was still a little bit like, you know what? I really don't know. I really don't know if – even if they are able to win those teams, those games, that people will trust them. Because, again, it has just been a very – they've just been very inconsistent, I would say, all year long.
0: Well, they must be listening to us because they're on a run right now, and now they're only down 11, 56-45. Looking oh at the box score, Shelley's 0 for 9, so she hasn't had a good day offensively. She has 6 assists, but uh, Hybe with 10, uh, Kroll with 11, Bourne with 9, Markowski with 5. She's just 1 of 8 from the field. As a team, the Huskers are shooting 30%, 17 of 55, 2 for 24 from 3, 8.3% for the game, and they're just 56% from the line as well. Rutgers, they're not shooting the ball particularly well either. 36.8% from the field, 33% from three. Uh, They're eight of nine from the free throw line. But uh, both of these teams not having great offensive performances, but Nebraska's making a late push. There's two and a half minutes left. I'm looking at ESPN.com right now. Down 11. Uh, I don't know if that will happen. It seems like a tall order just considering what the offense has produced today. Uh, We will see, but let's just assume that they lose this game. They have Penn State, Ohio State both at home, then they go to Purdue, and then they have Maryland at home on January 22nd. That's a big game, and it's a, a team that Nebraska beat earlier this year, but it's a team that Nebraska's had a lot of trouble with. And Just like on the men's side, the Big Ten on the women's side does not get any easier as the schedule progresses, and, you know, this team starts to string together a couple of losses here, which they have, you know, you start to worry about their standing in March too because this is the team that should be in March.
1: Right. No, I agree. And right now, as I'm I'm flipping over right now to the ESPN Bracketology for Nebraska, just to see where they're at, I'm guessing they're on the 7 line, they're on the 8 line right now. Um, Today's loss will probably drop them, further. Uh but yeah, I mean just you can't give up a game like this against a team that is not good. <laughs> like and and that seems harsh towards Rutgers, but six and ten, oh and four in conference. And just a totally it's not offensive getting done. I mean just a total offensive disaster. I mean five points in the first quarter. So yeah, I mean, it was just a bad day. Bad day for Amy Williams squad.
0: Honestly if you start over twenty-one, because quarters are ten minutes, mm-hmm. you start over twenty-one, and you still end up with five points at the end of those ten minutes. And by the way, they were down five well, after they, that so first start quarter over, as well. I mean,
1: they don't make their first three. They didn't make their first three till the fourth quarter.
0: And I believe they hit two in a row. Right. But well, after, yeah, like just a a subpar. And you said, it. I mean, it's not. It's no disrespect to Rutgers, but you can't drop a game against a, a not very good opponent. And, right. you know, when you have 10 losses already in the year and just six wins to complement that, that's a game that, you know, you, you should win. And you should win by probably a lot. And so, and again, this team has dealt with injuries, but there's no reason. the The roster is more than talented enough to you know, be a competitive Big Ten team, in my opinion, down the stretch as well. And you said they're an eight seed right now. We'll see how much that changes as the coming weeks progress. But um, it'll be, you know, it might get a little shaky down the stretch for this team if the Big Ten gives them a lot of fits when it comes to bracketology in March. We're going to have to keep our eyes out on them because usually – at least since we've been in college they've been like oh yeah they're they're going to play in march or oh yeah right. they're going to have a shot i mean they they barely missed it our freshman year um and then they they made it last year so um i mean they've been a fun team to watch throughout our college career um but obviously playing the big 10 comes with its ups and downs as well but before we wrap up episode 109 grants any closing thoughts happy new year everybody by right. the way happy 2023 um first episode of the year as well but any closing thoughts before we get out of here
1: yeah i mean i had this thought and i dropped this in our our group chat uh, our friends group chat but uh is this the best sports month of the year i like i've we've talked on this show before and i've said it's november and i i think i still stand by that but today's slate with the addition of an extra week to the nfl uh regular season um the NFL playoffs coming up for the rest of the month college basketball is really getting to the time where it starts to become very interesting for both men's and women's teams it's a good month and you also have NBA just kind of sitting there on the side
0: it is a good month that's actually a really good question and something that we could probably debate over for hours Um, let's see I'm trying to think of another month I think I mean October's pretty good October, November is pretty good um, because you have the World Series, you have the start of football, um, you have the start of the NBA and college basketball, you have the start of hockey for you hockey fans out there as well. Um, this year was kind of on steroids because you have the World Cup as well throughout that time. But I, I think you could make a, a good argument for January, and the NFL playoffs I think has a lot to do with that, especially because – like the, the amount of games that have significant meaning this week is, you know, pretty large. Especially that Packer Lions game, and as somebody yes. who's a fan of the team in the NFC North, I mean, I'm gonna have my eyes on that game because I'm just, I'm, I'm interested. Who's gonna win that? Right. Um. So yeah, this is definitely a a, a good sports, de- definitely top three. It makes the podium. And, and then I'll, I'll leave it at that for now.
1: And then you've got you've gotta you know root for Baker to beat the Seahawks earlier uh tomorrow afternoon for that game to matter on Sunday night.
0: That is true. That is true. So I mean I I hope that the Lions Packers game is competitive. Obviously, I like no matter who wins that game, I can't really win because I don't like either of them, especially <laughs> the Packers. So I guess I'll root for the Lions. But um your Giants are in the playoffs. Yes. Congrats yes. on that. Yes. Big big who they 49ers. Got this week?
1: We're big 49ers fans uh if the 49ers beat the cardinals with good old David Blo I mean Blau, uh in their quarterback uh if if the 49ers are able to beat the cardinals then the giants will get a rematch with the vikings uh and that to me is incredibly enticing for the playoffs giants get the eagles this week definitely seems like uh we're going to be leaving a lot of our starters on the sidelines so as much as I would like it to stick it to Philly and keep them from getting the uh first round bye, I would much rather see the Eagles get the bye than Dallas. So, uh I I will uh I I will uh I'm going to guess they'll lose tomorrow, uh, probably handily, cuz I I don't think Daniel Jones or Saquon are going to play tomorrow. So, and then after that, I mean, you know, that offense is totally relying on those two because, <laughs> because like Richie James, it's like Richie James, Isaiah Hodges, Gary Brightwell is the backup running back. I mean, it's it gets really scarce really suddenly. The Giants just activated Davis Webb today from the practice squad, so Ty, uh, Ty Tyrod Taylor, Tyrod Taylor is going to get the start. I'm guessing, and we'll go from there.
0: Who is the receiver that needs like a million catches this week for the bonus? Oh
1: yeah, Kennedy Kenny Galladay. Yeah, Kenny that's needs, who it is. Kenny needs 76 catches to get a, like, $750,000 bonus. (laughs) 76 catches in today's game. And I I was joking, like, he's actually going to play. Like, he's going to get some serious minutes, I'm guessing. Uh, Highest paid receiver in the NFL, and he does jack for the Giants on a week-to-week basis.
0: Well, hey, he's playing postseason football. I guess that's all he can ask for. I'll root for a Giants Vikings rematch, and I think you'll get it unless the yes. the Purdue legend David Blau comes through. <laughs> right, or but.
1: or on the other side, uh, who's starting for the Bears? Is it Simeon?
0: Nathan Peterman. Oh, that's
1: right. Okay, so the Bears play the Vikings. It, so, you know, the Giants will play the Vikings with the Vikings loss to the Bears, which I don't think will happen. Or
0: no, uh, it will not. Forty
1: Niners win over. Arizona and and look like I think the Giants. You, know, you think back to that game, not to go full Giants here talk, but we're going to for a little bit. But you think back to that game against Minnesota, where you know Saquon Saquon uh, Barkley scores on a twenty yard touchdown run on fourth and two, and that's one of Daniel Jones's best games of the year. And the team had three turnovers in that game. There was a muffed, uh, there was a muff or no, there was a blocked punt that led to a field goal, and then. Jones had one interception, and then there was a fumble by the rookie tight end, Bellinger. So, you know, the Giants turned it over three times in that game and only lost by three. And their defense had Kirk Cousins and Fitz. And then, man, like, I, that probably ends up being the noon Sunday game next week, but I would, man, if that game was a night game, oh, that, like, that is also advantage Giants, I feel like, just because Cousins is just terrible in primetime. He's awful.
0: It's been such a Vikings way to, like, if you flip all their one-score wins, they're 1-15, in 15, I believe. Yes. So that's just, like, such a Kirk Cousins way of, of winning in the NFL, which has been remarkable to see. But they will not lose to the Bears. The Niners, I believe, are playing everybody. Mitchell, Debo, right, and cause, McCaffrey. Right, because they need to
1: lock up the two. They want the two, right. so they would – um they would get either green bay or detroit or seattle
0: well those are all definitely favorable matchups for the king himself brock purdy i'm excited to watch that guy play uh, in in the playoffs he's been bosa, he's been phenomenal
1: how about Nick? Yes. Bo- or nick bosa right yeah nick bosa yes. uh, he is like talk about a guy who is you know miles garrett gets a lot of press um you know I I would say Bosa just (laughs) for some reason you know he does not get the recognition he deserves as I I think nationally as the NFL's best pass rusher
0: yeah he is he is phenomenal both of the Bosa's are phenomenal but Nick especially too he's caused nightmares for everybody out in the NFC West and he'll be fun to watch in, in the playoffs as well so Enjoy the weekend of the NFL. Enjoy the weekend of college basketball. Oh, and one more thing, Grant. Who's winning on Monday night? Georgia or TCU?
1: <coughs> oh man, uh, I'm gonna go with TCU. That's what my heart says. I like. Wow. Georgia's, Georgia's defense is good, but Ohio State picked that thing apart. And like, say what you want about the Horn Frogs, but their three-three-five defense is really impressive. Uh, Georgia's gonna get some time to game plan for it, sure. But look, like TCU right now has a lot of momentum. And I, I don't think Georgia's defense is as good as everyone thinks they are. I mean Jalen Carter felt like a non factor at, at serious points in that Ohio State game. So I, I'm gonna go with TCU.
0: I would love to join you, but I'm going to have to go Georgia. But I'll probably be rooting for TCU, to be honest. Because that that Michigan game that they played was so much fun to watch. Both of those uh, especially. Oh, yeah. Oh, yeah. Phenomenal. Phenomenal college football playoff games. And uh, we expect the same from the national championship, TCU, Georgia. For all the marbles on Monday, um, that's on ESPN or ABC, one of the two. Um, so watch that as well. So enjoy a full weekend of sports. Uh, Huskers win big, not score-wise, but meaning-wise in Minnesota, 81-79 to in overtime. They get win number nine on the year, conference win number two. Um, so enjoy the sports this weekend. We'll talk to you sometime next week before we head back to Lincoln and get in the school grind once again. But mm. we appreciate all of you tuning into our show every single week once again you can find us on twitter at c underscore clark underscore 27 and at hansen not hansen you can find our show on twitter at husker weekly and search husker sports weekly in the search bar wherever you get your podcasts to find our show we'll talk to you sometime next week hope you enjoyed and until then go big red